Welcome to the Latinx, Latine, and Social Work Podcast, the podcast where we feature people who have an amazing impact on the Latinx, Latine, and the Latino community. My name is Erica Sandoval. I'm a licensed clinical social worker and the CEO and founder of Sandoval Collab and Latinx and Social Work Inc. Each week, I'm joined by leaders in politics, community organizations, businesses, social justice warriors, and of course, our social workers. We use a mental health, wellness, and social justice lens to talk about issues that impact communities of color while amplifying the voices of individuals and organizations that are doing the work to advance community healing. We're making the space to celebrate our work and talk about what still needs to be done to strengthen our Latino, Latinx, Latinx communities and provide them with resources and tools and tips to support them as they navigate the world. Enjoy the episode. Hello, hello, everyone. I'm really excited today to share space with the one and only Pavel Martinez, who is a native New Yorker, storyteller, and former tech executive. Throughout his career, Pavel struggled balancing two jobs, tech employee and actor. As an actor, he would focus on assimilation because he was trained to believe that many parts of his identity were unprofessional. Pavel would dedicate days out of the week to study white popular American culture and memorize scripts he would later use for work conversations. He knew that talking about Bad Bunny and shows like Insecure would not make him relatable. Instead, he would binge watch seasons of Riverdale since it would help him build relationships with colleagues and senior leaders. The assimilation became overwhelming and it was at that expense of his identity and mental health. As a result, Babel's mission in life became redefining professionalism by empowering authenticity. And that is where we are. And in 2020, he launched Floral to bring this mission to life. I'm so excited today to share space with you because like I said, I feel like, I don't know, you're my avatar, like my opposite in the male form. So many of what you shared is what happened with me. So thank you so much for being authentic, vulnerable, and, and just on point. I love, I love hearing all about you. What are some of the other things that are not on your bio that people need to know about you? I would say I'm a big risk taker. I'm creative. You know, oftentimes I, I journal every morning and I write down like I'm feeling creative and I try to explain that feeling to other people and they just don't get it. They're like, what do you mean you feel creative? Like, what do you want to create? <laughs> people often say also, oh, like I'm a daddy's girl. I'm a, I'm a mama's boy. I, I love my mom, but my grandparents raised me while my mom was working. So I'm a big abuela's boy as well. Oh, that's so beautiful. I was abuelita's girl too. My grandma died uh, 2018, but I came to this country right after she did a few weeks after, and she raised me with my mom and my dad. So I hear you. I hear you. So you're doing some incredible things and it's really not heard of what you're doing. And I want to say bravo, because we need to talk more about these things in our life and in our culture and in our professional spaces. I love hearing the reason why you created what you started. And 
it's very vulnerable. Um, but when do you think was that deciding moment? Like, what was it for you that just made you decide, I can't do this anymore. It's really impacting my mental health. And this is, you know, I, I feel like this is just not real. What was it? It was when I was working at Facebook, probably my first year. Uh, it was the first time I've ever cried about a job. And it wasn't at work, but it was a vulnerable moment that I was having with my aunt in my abuela's house. We were just talking about work and I was like, I don't think I'm built for this. Like, mm. it's really hard. It's not going well. I'm spending so much time doing the research, faking it, doing the things that you alluded to earlier around and literally doing research around white people, and what yeah. they like and all these things. Yeah. And my aunt asked me such a simple question that I couldn't even answer. She was like, okay, well, you're spending all this time doing it where you should be focusing on your work. Why are you doing it? Why are you dedicating all that time to assimilate? And it was such a simple question. And I was like, I don't know. I just thought I had to. Yeah. And that's the thing that we all do. We fake it because we think we have to. But it was this moment of realization. And I was like, well, maybe I don't have to. Like, what happens if I do be myself, bring myself mm -hmm. to work? Like, mm -hmm. are people going to see me differently? Will I be doing better work? And that's when I started the journey of just like trying to unlearn all that I've been taught around me being unprofessional. Yeah. Where do you think, and I know for me, a lot of the things that I had to unlearn were taught by my family, by my parents. Um, you know, they both came in to this country as immigrants. I'm an immigrant. And um, my mom, she just really felt the need to make sure that I was always on point with the way I was dressed, how I looked, wow, they were so excited on learning English. Someone that is there to um, speak a language that they weren't really comfortable with. And so I felt like there was a lot of this that was taught to us by our parents and our family structure because of needing to survive. What do you think? A hundred percent agree. I think there's this big misconception that assimilation and faking it and code switching is or or it starts in the workplace. It couldn't be further mm -hmm. from the truth because everyone that I speak to, it often starts at home or very early on in school. You know, my grandfather would often tell me, and again, like you, trying to protect us because they want the best for us. Like they don't want us to go through these racist moments of the microaggressions and all these things. So he would tell me, do you see presidents or CEOs with beards, tattoos, earrings? I'm 32 till this day. I don't have my ears pierced, right? I don't have any tattoos. Um, so, but also the representation that he was pointing to were older white men. So yeah, that's where it started for me. And it continued when I went to high school it was an all boys Catholic high school. I had to wear a uniform every day. I couldn't have facial hair below the earlobe. Um, wow. They banned traditional black hairstyles like braids, afros, mm -hmm. dreads, locks. So it just kind of continued to be reiterated up until I got to the workforce as well. And I saw the same sort of representation. You know, in the chapter that, um, that I wrote in volume two, Latin accent social work, I talk about my journey as a Latina and really assimilating to white culture for many, many years and the pain and the struggles that I was dealing with. But 
did not know how to name. Like I did not know how to name the internalized racism that I was feeling about myself and my identity. I didn't know how to name the um, imposter syndrome that I kept feeling in all spaces. Like I didn't know what that, what it was, where it came from. And then I realized it was from all these micro validations and microaggressions that you experience throughout your life. When you show up as who you are with all of your parts, like everything, like your culture, your, your, even your name, the way you spoke your name. I even stopped using my middle name, Priscilla, because it sounded too Latina. And I'm like, came to a place where I'm like, no, this is no more. Now I'm like, I'm Erika Priscilla Sandoval. Like so proud, but it takes so long for us to get there. What do you think like some, you know, some tips you can give us can give people that are going through that? Like what, what do you share? What are some of your gems? Well, I think that that's really interesting that you're kind of describing. And for me, it sounds like, like many of us, we walk into situations, not putting ourselves first. We walk into situations and think, how do I make everyone else around me comfortable where we should be asking like how do i make myself feel comfortable you know what i mean um i often challenge people to define for themselves what authenticity means to them because i think in many corporations especially the ones that i've worked at it's like bring your most authentic self to work but it's like what does that really mean right Mm -hmm. and what i found is that in the research that i've done is that people feel like their most authentic self when they're rebelling against what they've been told their entire lives that they shouldn't be or couldn't be. So I'll give you a simple example, right? And this is often like, all right, your first parent teacher conference. It's like, Pavel, oh my God, he's such a great student. He's doing so well in the classes, right? So my performance, measurable outcome, I'm doing well. But the teacher is like, he's so talkative, right? Yeah. Meanwhile, these days I would be this extroverted, strong relationship communicator, all these sort of like positive things, extrovert, blah, blah, blah. Right. But what are, what are we told our entire lives? Shut the fuck up, do your work, keep your head down. Right. So I'm going to feel my most authentic self when I'm finally able to be that person that people have been telling me my whole life I shouldn't be. Right. But for you to figure that out, you kind of got to go through this self-discovery journey and really think back to like, who have I been hiding? Yeah. Who have I been hiding? I love that question. That's a powerful question to even really journal about. Who have I been hiding? Yeah. Who am I that I chose not to show? Yeah. You know, a lot so, of us, we don't even realize that we're faking it. <laughs> we don't realize that we're faking it until we're exhausted and depleted and we're just sitting there unhappy because this is what happens when you fake it, right? You, everybody. For everyone, you're just unhappy. Even with all the accomplishments that you achieve and all these accolades, and you can have all of these licenses and professional accreditations, and you're just so unhappy. You're unhappy. And um, a lot of times, unhappy people tend to do things that aren't healthy. So it's almost like the cycle of trauma. Like, we're traumatized. We fake it because we're traumatized because of all of the systemic racism, all of the micro-invalidations, the microaggressions, the internalized racism. And then we're living this lie 
and then we're unhappy and we're still depressed and anxious, but now even more with layers of our own trauma that we've had on. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. intense. It's really intense. Um, and and there's ahead. a lot of fears that go along with that process, right? So, you know, in, in all the speaking engagements that I do, I, I typically have a, a slide up talking about like microaggressions and retaliation, right? And I always ask the crowd, like, how many people is this, is this the thing that's scaring you from being yourself, right? And most people raise their hands. Right. But then I ask people, I'm like, well, well, all right, put your hands down. Who wants to work in a toxic environment here? No one raised their hand. But how do you know if you work in a toxic environment, if you never show your most authentic self? Right. Like I argue that you want to know if it's a toxic environment, like because then you can make a plan for yourself if you want to be there long term or not. But many of us are scared to do that because we give the other person all of the power in the situation oh my god i'm gonna get fired oh my god i'm gonna get i'm gonna get reprimanded well you can also leave like at will employment this idea goes both ways you can also get up like we're fully qualified we have just as much power to set ourselves up for the life that we want to be our most authentic self and if that place doesn't accept you like why are you staying there and then you know why we're staying there because of the title, because of like, it's cool to say that, oh, I work at Facebook, I work at Google, I work at these companies. And we almost like, put some of these titles ahead of our own sanity. So true. It's so true. We become that becomes our identity marker. And we were talking about identity markers before we started recording, right? So that becomes our identity marker. Oh, my God. Do Do you know how excited I used to be to go on a date and someone asked me where I worked. I would, I would be like, oh my gosh, she still hasn't asked me. I'm just going to bring it up. I work at Facebook. <laughs> oh, you're like, so funny. It's so honest. I love it. It, be- it becomes part of our identity. Like, like I used to wear Facebook swag everywhere. I remember yeah. like we used to go to conferences in San Francisco and because of this gentrification, like when we would go to conferences, Facebook would tell us not to wear Facebook swag outside in the streets. The place really? is dangerous. People may look at you a certain way, gentrification. I was like, y'all got this twisted. The Facebook swag to me disarms people. They can be like, oh, he's not threatening. He works at Facebook, right? But there's this like whole perception around what that means. But like, that was my identity for so long. Like a tech employee is only like 5% Latino, 5% black people. So like, so to me, true. that shit was like a badge of honor. Like now I'm insecure telling people that, what I do for work, even though I'm my own CEO, even over my own business, because I don't have that fancy title. So I get it. But like the faster that we can let go of it, the faster that we can start identifying our real identity markers. First of all, I think you have a pretty fancy title. You're CEO founder of Plural. Let's just say that really loud and clear. That is amazing. Entrepreneur, thought leader. You're, you're, you're amazing. But it's true. If we're not connected to this identity that everyone knows, it's harder for us. But you are doing amazing things. And then just talking about that, just your your new venture. How long have you been in this entrepreneurship game? Because I know it's hard as hell. So I give you so much props and I can't wait to hear more about what you're doing. How long has Thank it been you. for so, you? So I launched in 2020, but to be honest, I was I was treating it like a hobby. It wasn't even focusing on revenue because I had a full-time job at the time. It wasn't until last year um, when I quit my job at TikTok and went full-time 
so I would say like since 2022 of March, I've, I've been full-time. How did you decide to do that? Cause that's a huge decision, right? Like look at, listen to what you just said. When I quit my job at TikTok and went full-time, like that's a monumental moment. That was mind blowing. What was it? I got, said, I, I got to a point where my savings account was healthy and I was like, I could hold myself down even if I don't make a penny for at least a year. I have a limited amount of time on this earth. Like if I'm not going to do it now, then mm-hmm. when? And also as I started being more authentic, as I like to display it to the world, it was it was being met with some resistance internally. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't need this. I don't need mm-hmm. to be questioned. I don't need to do this, this and that. So I was just like, if I really want to, make the change that I want to see in the world. Let me try to do it on my own. I love all of that because there's a moment in time. And for everyone that's listening, you're probably hearing this. You're like, I've been having this dream of doing this or doing that, but I just don't want to move away from my job, my career. We could always reinvent ourselves if we have purpose and we're aligned with our calling. And you took all of your amazing um, educational experience, mm-hmm. your professionalism that you created on your own, like you became a professional on your own since you were a little kid. We've been studying to be professionals. Like if our parents had their hands on us, they were kind of like grooming us to just be better than them, as we always hear. Like we want you to be better than us. We want you to have a better life than us. But you brought in all of your moments that hurt, that were painful, that were vulnerable. And you said, wait, this isn't it. If I'm feeling this, someone else is feeling it. And I want to help them because I'm helping myself now and I need to do this. So as you're doing this, this incredible work, supporting others, do you feel like there's parts of you that are healing? For sure. Definitely healing. Um, And I think I'm also healing by seeing others around me heal. Um, The more that I talk about my experience and the more that other people share their experience, it's just this ripple effect where other people feel seen and heard. Uh, One of the most powerful things that I've been able to accomplish that hasn't that doesn't make me any money is my mom actually listens to all my podcast episodes. Um, at home. And I mention I talk and mention about mention my mom often on the podcast. And <laughs> I don't know if it's like she just got annoyed. But at one point, she was like, you know what, ja, toma. And she hands me her insurance card. No. She's like, go, go book my therapy session. If Because if I've been telling her to go to therapy for so long. Wow. So that's a huge accomplishment. Huge. So and I think I've been able to get a lot closer to my mom and just like talking about my story as well. Because again, a lot of these workplace experiences, they often go untold. Like I don't talk to my mom about a lot of these things because I don't think she'd understand. Right. Right. So she's learning about me and in return, she's sharing more about herself. And in return, we're growing and sort of like healing together, if you will. That is so, so beautiful because it's so true. 
she's learning more about you because you're talking to the world and you're yep. being authentic to the world mm -hmm. and she's seeing you from a different view and she's hearing you differently and now she's like do it <laughs> yeah. you know and that is so powerful that is so powerful I, you know um, I, I wish my parents could listen to my podcast episodes. I, I, you know, I wrote a couple of books and I had them translated to Spanish just so our parents, because there's like 40 something authors, just so our families who don't speak um, and read in English can read it. And I felt, I felt like I had to like force them to read it. But then I started thinking these stories that we write, they're so painful. They're painful. They're trauma. They don't want to read our trauma. They don't want to read our pain. So I think a lot of our time, the reason why we don't tell our parents what's going on at work or what's happening is because when it's not good, we don't want to share. When it's not a good moment, we don't want to share. When it's a great moment, when we like we got a promotion, oh, I got a shout out this. It's like, it's easy to share. They'll understand that. The one we're sharing. So they said something about my food in the cafeteria or where we were eating. And I found it offensive because of the smell they said it smells weird and it's Latino food you know and that's so upsetting and I want to talk to HR about this they could be like ¿Por qué estás haciendo problemas? Ya cállate. like stop making problems just eat don't bring that food order pizza you know it's like they will not understand like where we are at and how we want to kind of reframe like our narrative and change the world so we're teaching them as they've often taught us we become like the versions of themselves that they've always wanted to be Mm -hmm. she must be super proud of you more worried than proud <laughs> i mean i'm sure she's proud <laughs> but she uh, i i think the worries have calmed down a bit but when i first quit my job you know there was a lot yeah of i'm sure they're still worried for sure but uh of course so am i i'm just as worried <laughs> every day every day entrepreneurs worry about how is the next month going to be okay and the next month listen what are you working on so people can know you get to get to you like what are some things that you'd like to share with everyone so people can follow and, and connect with you tell us what's coming up for you yeah so again the mission for me is to redefine professionalism the way that we do that is by empowering people to be their most authentic selves um and the way that we do that historically has been through sharing our stories really educating by creating empathy so every week on the podcast we have a new story from someone sharing their experience between professionalism and authenticity. Now, what typically happens is that people hear the stories, they then feel emboldened to start being themselves or really start this self-discovery journey. And now what I'm really working on is equipping the same audience with the necessary tools, skills, resources to navigate that self-discovery journey. Um, so we're launching technology to be able to scale that. So we're launching an app probably by the end of um june focused on again giving people the tools really focused around emotional intelligence to not only be emboldened through the stories that we're already sharing but equipped with the necessary skills to be able to continue that self-discovery journey and be their most authentic selves especially at work i love all of that i think that we have a lot to talk about to collaborate i could see so many yeah. amazing like synergies coming together and just really between the 40 authors, the 40 something authors that we have, um, the networks that we have, we can build something really beautiful to give the world, um, you know, summits, workshops, things that they can come and see you, hear you speak, 
tell your truth and continue to support all the communities in their professional career while they're healing. So this all is incredible. Thank here's, you so much. Here's a, yeah, here's the thing too, like Harvard Business Review put out a study that said 90% of what sets high performers apart from their peers, emotional intelligence. Yeah. Emotional intelligence. When you think about it, I didn't learn that at school. I didn't learn that at work. Um, I learned that in therapy. So here's the skill that we all need, yet no one's teaching it. No I'm one's teaching it. it. I love it. So he, you're here teaching it. Therapy is a good way to also access your emotions. Journaling, connecting with yourself, being the person that you have been hiding, even asking yourself, who have you been hiding? And just showing up loud and proud. I love all that. Thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate you. And I can't wait to continue to share space and connect and do incredible things together. Thank you for the work you're doing for the community and congratulations on your success. You're amazing, my friend. Thanks for tuning in to the Latinx and Social Work Podcast. This show is a labor of love where we hope these conversations will not only provide resources, but will help heal, lead, and inspire our communities and let them know that they're not alone. If you enjoy this episode, be sure to leave a review and comment on iTunes or Spotify, letting us know what you think. And if you're interested, purchase our award-winning books, Latinx, Latina, and Social Work, Stories That Heal, Inspire, and Connect Communities on our website, www.latinxandsocialwork.com. Lastly, be sure to follow us on social media at Latinx and Social Work. Till next time.